Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit, a podcast series that aims to take a closer look at the impact of the IT industry, both the good and the bad. Cut the Shit is brought to you by Plow Networks, a managed IT services company based just outside Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Brian Link, EVP of Products and Services here at Plow, and I'll be your host for this series. I'll ask questions, and with the help of our guests, try to dig deep on some of the key challenges we all face dealing with IT. So with that, let's cut the shit and get started. On today's episode, I am pleased to have Eve Halimi and Anam Lakani, the co-founders of Alinea, an early-stage fintech startup based in New York City. As you will hear during our conversation, Eve and Anam are most definitely young guns in the fintech world, having gone from college to running a Y Combinator-backed startup in less than three years. Their company is definitely making waves with its Gen Z-focused financial management app, which offers a powerful combination of great product design, financial education, and social investing that resonates with their audience. During our conversation, we get the co-founders to tell us how they met and walk us through their company's origin story. We talk about the problems they are trying to solve for their customers, as well as the struggles of getting a startup from launch to scale during the pandemic. And since they are Gen Zers themselves, I get them to give me a brief education on why TikTok matters. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Eve and Anam. Even and I'm welcome to Cut the Shit. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. So where are you? Here. Perfect. Where are you guys today? New York City in our office in Soho. All right. So um, looking around, I can tell you're in a real office. It's not a background like I see on a lot of people's, uh, a fake background that I see on a lot of people's uh, video chats. Um, What's the story? I know you guys coming out of Y Combinator, or maybe you're still in it. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, well, maybe why don't we start there? Where are you guys in the process as it relates to Y Combinator? Well, we graduated from Y Combinator. We were okay. in the class of winter 21 and more than happy to get into how this all started. Yeah, we'll get there in just a second. But before we do, so you guys are face to face, sitting in an office. Um, are there other employees or contractors involved in uh, in the company at this point? Yes. Yes, we're about ten people um, in the company today. And so, how? Um, what's the nature of the the work relationship? Is it uh, everybody comes to the office? Is it hybrid? Is it remote? Are people all over the place? What's the story with your organization? So we're hybrid. We have um, about five to six people coming into the office every day, which is great. And then we have five to six people who are working remote. Are they local? Is that what? And they're just choosing to work remote, or is this the kind of thing you found talent here, there, and everywhere? We found talent here, there, and everywhere. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we um, we're in similar circumstances. We've got uh, we're actually based in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but I live in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and we've got people in Florida, uh, Arkansas, Chicago, you know, various places. Uh, again, and just sort of. Uh, by happenstance now, and it really has kind of expanded our net for trying to find people. And I'm sure that's probably the same for you guys as well. Yes. So to help um, help the listeners, give us a sense, um, talk to us a little bit about uh, Alenia and sort of what the background, give us a, maybe a little bit of background, uh, a thumbnail sketch on your individual backgrounds, kind of how you met, and then sort of how that led to at least the uh, initial sort of impetus for the company. Of course. Um, so I grew up on Long Island, attended Barnard College, and I met Anam in, at Barnard. I, I'm originally from friends from Paris, uh, but I came to the U.S. to 
to attend college, essentially. And Anam and I were both studying economics together in school, both interning on Wall Street, so passionate about finance. Um, and it was only until our senior year that we really found a love for entrepreneurship together. Um, and that's where the idea behind Alinea started. It was in this classroom in 2018, end of 2018, um, where we started basically realizing that most of our girlfriends around us and our friends weren't investing in the stock market, didn't know what the S&P 500 was, didn't know what crypto stood for. Um, and there was a big lack of education around us. So, so the educational piece um, was, was, I guess, maybe the initial, the initial glaring problem. Would that be fair? I think it was also the lack of confidence. So we would go to, you know, younger people, young women, young men, and they didn't know where to start. They didn't have a community. And we just saw they had a whole different set of needs that none of these platforms were addressing. And it became really obvious to us at that point that a product like Alinea had to exist. And and you feel like so what were when you when you guys were surveying the landscape at the at this point so pre to, you know this is before launch so as you're thinking about it what were the platforms you were looking around uh, at because there was obviously lots of investing platforms already in existence everything from the large mutual fund companies to to the apps themselves what what were you guys looking at everything we downloaded all the apps on everything the and we still <laughs> couldn't find yeah. an app or a platform that spoke to us and i think what is and what was missing the most is a sense of community um investing is such a lonely journey for all of history it has been and it doesn't have to be like we're in the digital age of sharing information of sharing our lives and sharing investment ideas should be a part of that and not to nerd out since this is a bit of my background is the idea that the community, I mean, when you, when you think about community, is the hope that the community will spur people to take action? Or are you seeing that as a potential source of alpha in terms of better investing returns over time? Both. 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 We're seeing, you yeah. know, people, I, I think what we've come to the realization of is that a retail investor can have probably the same amount of knowledge as an institutional investor. And we're in the DIY generation, do it yourself. And people love Alinea because they have autonomy, they have creativity, they can come on, create an investing playlist that matches them, that feels like a form of self-expression and have others sort of follow or copy. And there hasn't really been a marketplace for investing ideas or for creators in the investing space. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating to me having come from not exactly the same space that you guys are in now, but having been around it um, to, you know, these themes, um, these themes have been there in the past. And I think one of the things that, that, that I think as we transition a little bit, will will become obvious, the technology makes it so much easier now to, to be able to build and, and find community than it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and so, you know, it feels like maybe the time has come. So I wish you guys the best. Um, where, where are you in the process? So you had this idea, so you're, you're at Columbia, you're, 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 this is germinating. Where do we go from there? How do you get from, from there to, to today? Oh man. Yeah. So we decided to not jump into entrepreneurship immediately, but kind of go off pair bills, get a little bit of experience. So I went to investment banking at Citigroup. I went to work for the CEO of a growth stage startup, but I was working on the finance M&A side of things. So helping them with acquisition, helping them with the IPO preparation and helping with uh, the fundraising for later stages like Series D and on. 
and it was crazy because we were doing our full-time jobs and we just couldn't let go of Alinea. So we kept meeting on the weekends while there was catching up at two in the morning and kind of talking about, well, how do we, how do we take this further? Like, how do we make this a reality? Yeah. And it was strange because we had never really discussed what it meant. We had never even used the word startup, but we knew we had to just bring this to life. Um, and fast forward, we applied to Y Combinator. When was it? November? During COVID. It was during actually COVID. really during COVID that things transitioned for us and we had much more time on our hands to, to juggle our jobs plus this, the side hustle. Um, and uh, and yeah, applied to YC, ended up getting in um, and we quit our jobs overnight. So during YC, we learned how to launch a product, how to raise our first round of funding. Um, and after finishing YC, after finishing YC, we continued to build out our yeah. team. We've built a very strong, amazing, incredible team uh, for all Gen Z. So we are built by Gen Z for Gen Z. We're incredibly community driven. We, you know, to this day, we've launched multiple college student programs, bringing together students, teaching them about fintech, about startups, and what it really means to be a member of Alinea. So we've seen a lot of success with that, and we're always so astonished by, you know, the interest for investing and how many people still don't know where to start or don't feel like they've ever, if you're a first-gen college student and you have immigrant parents, they've probably never spoken to you about investing and you don't know where to go. And so we're really lucky and fortunate to be the investing home and investing community for these young people. Very cool. Very cool. Um. In terms of that process, uh, what's the nature of the of the technology build out? Are you guys developers? It sounds like you're more financial people, um, but I don't. I, that's just a guess based on the based on the resumes. So how, how have you guys how have you guys gone about handling the technology development? We're finance nerds, um, but we had we have and always had and always will have a very strong vision for what we want Alinea to look like and feel like what we want the user journey to be. We're very fortunate enough to have Dan Nissenbaum as our CTO, who basically shared the same vision and we were able to bring it to life more and was more. was also a Columbia University alum. Yeah, and he was all and actually also in our class of 2019. And yeah. so we met him after college, so yeah. Um, and Daniel built out our engineering team at Alidia. Who are gotcha. also all from Columbia University. Yes. Got it. So my my question, I guess my assumption is you guys are, uh, you guys have strong feelings about the user experience, um, and then rely on the technology team to help you put that uh, put that vision into shape. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. We're very big product people. Uh, we're always thinking about product, how to improve the product, talking to customers day and night. Um, so even though we come from financial backgrounds, we are we put PM product manager hats on. Uh, most of the time. Sure, sure. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a bit of core technology, if that's okay. Again, um, given given the nature of our audience and sort of who we who we work with, I think it'd be interesting for them to hear um, your views, uh, kind of through the lens of startup land on sort of core technology. So, obviously, your software company and app development company. I assume you're all cloud based, right? I mean, you don't have a server somewhere where you're running your software. Uh, if you did, I would be I would ask. I would have some real serious questions for you, um, but what um, what platforms are you guys using? AWS. Okay. And what about for for collab and communication? Are you guys using G Suite or are you using Office three sixty five? We use G Suite. We use Slack. The usual. 
And and why did you make those choices? Because those those may seem obvious to you, but but they're not. I mean, there there are options. So just curious, were those things you were already used to using? Um, is that what the team team's preference was? I'm just curious. I think it was things we were just used to using. And and the AWS decision versus Azure or Google Cloud Platform again, just used to the influence. Okay, this is really plugged into the YC community and got a really nice discount and couldn't say no. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. So, um, you know, as you think about, I mean, you're in the early stages of building out the the team and the infrastructure, and you're in the financial space. What what role has security played in your thinking and, and how early in the process did you begin to think about it? Oh, from, from day zero. So we prioritize security at the most forefront. I mean, look, as, as being Gen Z's, we understand like we have our own concerns around security. We don't want our data to ever, you know, be spilled out and be out there or be vulnerable. So we have heavily prioritized that since day one, even oftentimes, prioritizing security over growth. Um, yeah, most of the time, I would say. Um, most of our, yeah, even in terms of the partners we've decided to work with, uh, even in if it meant paying more, um, we we always chose that option uh, for our community members. And, you know, a, a problem that every company faces, whether you have one employee or, you know, 100,000, Things like uh, ransomware, or malicious attacks, or fraud—that that sort of thing. You guys are small and you're new, so you haven't necessarily had a lot of time to be exposed to it. But it's still there. And so, and again, as a financial company, the the risks in my mind are double because of the reputational aspects of it. Right? If if you have an employee whose credentials get compromised and uh, there's ransomware, that's not just a problem for you as far as your financial information or whatever. It has a potential spillover effect. What are you guys doing? How are you thinking about that? And where has that, you know, talk to me a little bit about how that sort of played into your thinking around the broader strategy. I mean, we always want to put parameters in place to protect ourselves, to protect our community. Um, and we've highly prioritized that from day one. Dan came from JP Morgan Chase, where he was really familiar with banking infrastructure, bank level security pr- protocols. So that has always been top of mind for us. And I, I see you're an SEC registered investment advisor. Do they still have the internet only uh, designation so that you don't have to do the state by state? Correct. Okay, good for you. Because that was that was new when um, when I got exposed to it back in the early 2000s, and it was a game changer because you used to have to go state by state to, and you could only you know you had to have if you're from Georgia, you had to have Georgia you know registration or whatever. So, uh, and it was based on assets under management. It was a real weird model. It wasn't weird. It was based on a guy sitting in an office somewhere, right? It was all based on geographic location. So um, with that with that structure, I mean, obviously there's some compliance, some compliance burdens. How are you guys thinking about that within the context of the of the organization? Do you have someone who's already who's is that a hat you guys have to put on or do you have someone else who's who's looking over that for you? We have, you know, we've totally hired the right professionals in place to help us with our compliance. We work with a compliance firm, so that has all been taken care of. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what, what, if any, tech challenges have you guys faced that you didn't expect? That's such a great question. So many. Um, I figured that. <laughs> I think even right now we're trying to run some Facebook ads, and you know, it, past iOS fourteen, you can't really, you know 
plug in and, and see what's happening. So, right. I mean, there's always so many tech challenges, but we always find a way to persevere. And, yeah, building, building for iOS versus building for for uh, Android, right? And like what tech you're going to use. Uh, if you yeah. build in Swift UI, you won't be able to use it as easily for for UI Android. Kit. Yeah. So, so the decisions we made um, kind of excluded other um, possible users, and um, and that's yeah, technical challenges. <laughs> Have you had to divide your dev team? I mean, do you have, are you building dedicated or sort of, I guess, purpose-built versions for Android versus iOS? So ideally in the future with our next capital raise, we will be doing so. But right now we only have the capacity to to build for iOS. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, you know, that, that was sort of the promise of HTML5 back in the day was, you know, you could build one, one version and it'll work for everything, right? And it'll just, it'll just, you know, nice little form factor on the mobile device and you know, there's too many cool features uh, on the on on the phones themselves to that you can take advantage of. And now with with security, you don't really have an option, I guess, um, to, to except to go that route. So, um, in in terms of user experience, um, you know, there's a couple of different user experience is an interesting one um, that I don't think gets enough conversation um, when you're talking about uh, when you're talking to technologists, right? There's oftentimes more about the tech than it is about how people actually use it and can they use it, uh, particularly in a B2B world, you guys are B2C, so it's a little different, but I'm curious to know what are you guys doing to try to, um, to try to balance sort of efficiency with good user experience and, and, and make that process iterative and improving over time. How are you guys uh, addressing that? I mean, user experience is everything, right? It's a reason that it holds people back from investing. It's what makes investing scary and complicated. So user experience is always top of mind and you know it's it's so deeply ingrained of having the best user experience possible or else we're not going to be able to really you know realize our vision of having young people gen z's women people who have been left on the sidelines kind of get started yeah. um that was a big problem i mean it's the problem we faced with phenom when we started downloading um, like the ton of different investing apps, they just didn't speak to us in terms of the user experience. So um, it's to be able to to target those demographics that have been left behind that we need to be very much focused on it. So I'll ask you a little bit of a, I mean, I won't say it's a trick question, but in, in all the in all the times you're in in the times you were looking, you know, surveying the marketplace previously, and as you continue to look today. Who do you think is doing a good job from user experience perspective? It doesn't even have to be in the investing space. I mean, let's keep it in the financial world, but who is doing a good job from your perspective? Point Card has one of the most incredible yeah. UI UX experiences I've seen. So one. <laughs> um, Republic, it might not be the best UI, but it's, it's an incredible user experience. It's made investing in the private markets extremely um, easy, extremely comprehensible. Um, so I'm a big fan of the Republic app. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Just, you know, since you guys are thinking so much about it, I thought it might be useful for users to hear your opinions on others to go look at as well, to see what those experiences are like. Um, what, uh, what are you guys doing? This is a little different question, kind of, instead of looking outward, kind of looking inward again, you're a small company, but how do you guys handle tech support for your internal customers, your employees? What happens if someone has a tech issue? How are you guys dealing with that? We 
I mean, we address it right away. We we yeah. have an ops team that's dedicated to that that will answer these messages and make sure that everyone is well served. We also work with top partners like Drive Wealth and Alpaca. So they're always around with dedicated support teams to, to help if there's any issue. Yeah. And our internal team also does a lot of work around addressing those concerns yeah. as quickly as possible. Gotcha. And you know, I've, I poked around the, the, I didn't download the app because I'm not a Gen Z. I don't think I'm allowed. I'm too old. I'm kidding. Um, but what, talk to me a little bit about the underpinnings of the, of the application. Are you guys, I mean, you're a registered investment advisor. Are you using like some banking as a service partners? You mentioned drive wealth and, and Al, Alpaca. Talk to me a little bit about how you, how you've cobbled that together uh, under the hood. We're also working with Plaid. Okay. Mentioning. Um, yeah, I mean, we've plugged into DriveWealth for equities. We've plugged into Alpaca for crypto. We use Plaid to link bank accounts. So working with incredibly established, well-funded institutions. We we are even working with uh, providers like Daisy Insights that provide us with uh, additional impact data for our users. Um, and so we're and stop. Stock card, no stock card. Stock card. Stock card. Um, stock card is another um, additional data point that we offer users and that we've partnered with. And are y'all doing anything on the cash side in terms of uh, in terms of offering an FDI insured option? Does DriveWealth provide that as a as a cash option? We're nothing on the cash side. We are SIPC insured and all of that FDIC, but no, nothing on the cash side yet. Okay. Okay. Um. You mentioned crypto, um, and and it's obviously prevalent uh, in in the world, uh, and and certainly in, in terms of in terms of some of the marketing and, and the application uh, as a, as an offering. Talk to me about your theory, or or not theory. That's the wrong word, but your sort of philosophy on crypto. Why do you think it's important, or and and what is it you see that it adds uh, for a young investor versus anybody else? I think we always talk about crypto in the sense of finance and the context in it exists and what it can do for government and supply chain and all of its use cases. But I think what's equally as important is how deeply embedded it is in culture. Um, and for many minorities and young women and young people, often their first touch point or their entry point with investing comes through crypto because of how deeply embedded it, it is in pop culture and cultural references. Um, and so it's just an incredibly important entry point. And we want to be there to provide the education, the diversification to get people into the markets. So is your hope that that would just be an asset class? I mean, if you were to think about within the context of a playlist or, uh, you know, if you look at, if you were to survey your, your, your customers, would you see that more as an asset class rather than, and, and maybe a point of entry? Is that sort of how you guys are thinking about it? Yeah, I think also what what people love on our app is that they can combine a, a playlist of stocks, ETFs, and crypto, so they can bundle up like a, Apple stock, Airbnb stock, the S and P five hundred, um, and they'll put in a bit of Ethereum in there, and they'll be able to allocate the weight that they want, and then invest with as little as a dollar across all of those um, asset classes. But yes, it's it's definitely been a way to kind of help people diversify their portfolio as well. And so have the, have the investment flows, you know, I know you don't, can't talk about specific people and, and I'm not interested in that, but as you look at the aggregate, have the flows, um, have they, have they come in and are they being allocated in a way that you expected or does it look different than you, than you expect? 
Yes, um, I would say what we we didn't expect is people's creativity around the the baskets that they were creating around the the playlists. Um, so we're we're seeing tons of creative uh, new investments being made and being bundled up um, that we we would have never even thought about uh, based on current themes that are going on in the world. So give me some examples. So right after the Ukraine and Russia war, there was a World War III hedge playlist that was trending on the app. Um, right now with what's going on, there's a stagflation playlist trending on the app. Uh, so we're For the seeing- Julia Fox TikTok trend, there was an uncut gems playlist. Okay, I'm one for two on those. I don't know who Julia Fox is, but that's the, I, I do have some questions about TikTok, but I'll, I'll just leave that there. Um, but I do know Uncut Gems, so I guess that's I'm halfway there. So, um, my daughter did tell me that apparently Dixie D'Amelio now is a singer. Um, didn't didn't know that, so I guess I got to catch I got to catch up. So, <laughs> been a singer for a minute, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the future. Um, Obviously, fairly early on in your life, but you've you graduated YC. You're moving, you know, you're moving forward. I'm assuming you've raised. Well, I know you've raised some capital because you graduated from YC. There's some cash as part of that. So, congratulations on that. Um, as you think forward three to five years from now, what what do you hope people will be saying about Alenia at that point? I hope they're saying it's the app for Gen Zs. It's the point of entry and the place to get started. It's where you find your community and where you can find. Playlists where you can't find anywhere else on the uh, yeah. on the any platform. It's helped me get started with investing, and it's helped me invest with my friends. And it's financially empowered me. Okay, and what and what? How do you translate that in terms of growth? What kind of kind of trajectory would you guys like to see in terms of size? As big as possible. <laughs> That's what your investors want to hear. I'm sure. So, World domination. Yes. <laughs> World domination. All right. Uh, the final question and. It's a little bit, give me a second to say it because it's got a couple of parts to it. But when you think about the current state of fintech, so so pull up just a little bit for millennia. Um, do you feel optimistic or pessimistic about the future going forward? And is that in, in whichever way you go, is that more about the fin part or the tech part? Because you know, there's, there's two pieces to that. Incredibly optimistic. I think even if we just all personally think about how we've shifted, like when the last time is we used cash, or how often we use cash, I think our day-to-day is so deeply entrenched, whether we're buying something, whether we're selling something, we're paying for something. You know, FinTech is so deeply rooted in our lives. It's not going anywhere. And both sides, both the Fin and the tech, there's financial rails we have to fix, and there's a lot of technological innovation, both, you know, front-facing and back-end-facing. Yeah, I would add that I'm very bullish on the future of FinTech, and I'm very bearish on traditional banks. And traditional financial institutions. And how? Where's the bearishness come from? What are the, what are the specifics that uh, that give you that perspective? Some experience working in banks and um, and in that, that those worlds and how slow things were happening, how slow the innovation is there, um, and how fast um, things go. The, the the pace of the innovation at fintech. Also, we're so deeply connected to our community and our, our Gen Z community, yeah. and we know that. They have a whole new set of needs. There's a whole new, you know, level as to where things should be. So, okay, um, that's kind of all I had on the sort of the main event. So uh, I always like to wrap up with a couple of personal questions. Again, not necessarily personal, but non-business related, if you will. Um, 
I'm going to assume you're both active on social media, given that you're Gen Zers and you've already mentioned Julie Fox, I think was her name. Um, Julia Fox. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you got it. There you go. See, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance. Um, and I, you know, I'm TikTok, TikTok is the latest and greatest, uh, you know, so, social media platform or, or video sharing platform. Although my kids grew up with uh, when Vine came about. So to me, TikTok is just a longer Vine. So it's not really much different uh, from my perspective. Uh, that, that may be an old guy's perspective, but you guys, do y'all even remember Vine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The six seconds, right? That's uh, that's 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 the vine. Um, I'd like each of you to share what's the most creative use of TikTok you guys have seen recently, and it doesn't have to be business. It just anything. Yeah. You know, I see this little girl on TikTok. I've seen these videos. I think they're so funny. She purposely makes a mess on her carpet. And then she uses different items to clean the mess. And it's just the funniest. And the, the funny part of these videos is that the mess is never cleaned. In fact, it gets messier because she's like six years old. She screams out scrubbing bubbles. And I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Scrubbing bubbles. All right. Eve, what do you got? I'm a big fan of Duolingo's TikTok. Oh, yeah. Um, the owl on Duolingo. Amazing. They've been very creative yeah. and... Yeah, they they've known how to talk to Gen Z. Okay, you know, have you got? I mean, I'm I'm going to assume you have. Um, there's at least I've seen articles and conversation around financial education via TikTok that there's been some interesting things going on leveraging TikTok. Is that is that a is that a, the facts? Do you guys buy into that? Those are facts. Those are facts. And are are you guys part of that? Are you guys leveraging TikTok for your particular marketing? Yes, we are. Gotcha. Okay. I'll have to go check that out. I don't, I don't have a TikTok account, but my daughter sends, sends them to me regularly. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm cheating on TikTok. I'm not actually registered. So maybe I need to sign up. So we'll send you some of our videos. Okay. Please do. Please do. All right. Last question. Um, tell us about your first technology memory as a child. Like the telephone. No, you can't cheat. It can't be TV or the phone. No, no, no. It's got to be something more interesting than that. Come on now. My first like iPod, oh. I was eight. It was like the skinniest. It was the white one. Uh -huh. Really excited because you can shuffle music. There were thousands of songs in your pocket. Yep. You know, that was the f that was Steve Jobs' selling point for the iPhone, right? Was basically it was a phone that you could listen to music with. I mean, that was kind of the, was a Walkman, if you will, with a phone attached. Yeah. Yeah. Their marketing um, messaging was thousands of songs in your pocket. Yep. I mean, it was not, it, it's, I know he's a genius, but I don't think he had any idea that it was going to end up being what it was. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, that it'd be a bank in your pocket or any of the other in your pocket things that people have come up with. So, well, ladies, I, uh, that's all I've got. I'll let you guys get back to work. Um, good luck with everything. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on cut the shit. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would really help us out. Or you can just go old school and tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and hell, anybody else who you think might want to hear something like this to listen in. If you're on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at cuttheshit underscore pod. We are also on TikTok, at cuttheshitpod, all one word, where we post lots of clips from the podcast. And last but not least, 
You can also watch the YouTube version of the show on our YouTube channel at Plow Networks. Until next time, take care and have a great day.